You know, it's really a privilege uh, to be here uh, tonight. Uh, some of you I know, but uh, Linda shared uh, some of our story. And uh, as she mentioned, uh, we, we both come from Flin Flon, Manitoba. Some of you, how many have been to Flin Flon? Uh, a number of you guys have. And so we, we were, I was born there and uh, raised there. My, both of our parents worked in the, in the mine. And uh, I grew up, uh, as, as Linda mentioned, I, I grew up in a non-Christian home. And it wasn't just a non-Christian home, it was an atheistic home. My dad was a professing atheist, and so because I respected my father, I, I, I adopted that belief, and I adopted that attitude. And so as a young person growing up, I didn't believe it, that God existed. And I, I'm the kind of thinker that I'm, a, I'm kind of an, a one and one and one equals two kind of thinker. Like, I'm a logical, uh, linear, scientific, math-oriented type of person. So that's the way I think. That's the way my mind works. Uh, the artistic side, I mean, I really, really appreciate the singing. You wouldn't want me to sing tonight. Uh, I am totally non-artistic in that, in that sense of it. And so when I grew up, I didn't believe in God because to me God was illogical. It wasn't logical that there was a God, and I didn't believe in it. In fact, I wasn't just neutral about it. I was actually hostile uh, towards any thought of any kind of religion. Didn't matter. It wasn't just Christianity. It was any kind of religion at all. I thought that anybody that believed in God was a weak person and uh, just a person that needed some type of a crutch. That was my attitude about it. It was a bad attitude and, and uh, it was a hostile attitude. And when I was in university, uh, different types, different religions would approach me. Unfortunately, not one time did a believer, a Christian, ever approach me on the university campus, but all the cults did. Uh, but they only did it one time. And I made it so miserable for them, they would never try me a second time. So that was my, that was my approach. That was my attitude. So I just did not believe in God at all. And as Linda mentioned, totally materialistic. In my graduating year at university, uh, one day I, I went to the, the cafeteria to have a cup of coffee at the, towards the end of the day, just before I went home. And I went to the cafeteria, sitting at a round table, just like you're sitting at tonight. And um, I had an encounter a supernatural encounter. Now, for a person that does not believe in the supernatural, in fact, I used to laugh at the whole idea that there was any such thing as a supernatural. And so for somebody who doesn't believe in it, to all of a sudden run into a supernatural being was just blowing every fuse that I had. And so the way you say, well, how did that work? Well, I was sitting at a table by myself, and all of a sudden, this person, and I realized that it, it was a person, has taken over my mind and is putting their thoughts in my mind. And I know that the thoughts that are in my mind are not mine. I know that. I'm, I'm frightened, actually. And what happened is, the kind of say, well, what kind of thoughts? Well, it was thoughts that, what happened was is that, of course, Linda and I at this time are very goal-oriented and very goal-driven uh, in our lives. I'm, a, I'm the top of my class at university. I won the Dean's Medal for the, for the top person in the, in the in class, um, also, and, and I'm driven. I'm not, it's not that I'm going to university because I like learning all that much. I just want, we just are so career-oriented. And so all of a sudden, what happened, what this person did, and I didn't know who it was, uh, marched me down the rest of my life, right to the end, and, sh and said, Okay, so what? So if you fulfill every goal you have, you're going to die. And then what? And of course, you know, when you're 24 years old, you're not thinking about death. I mean, 
you know, obviously you, you know you're going to die, but it's way down there somewhere. So I just never ever contemplated that. But all of a sudden, I come to, th this person marches me down to the end of my life and shows me I'm going to die, and then what? And so, and, and at that point, a sense of futility just came over me. Because I realized my life had absolutely no purpose and no point. And even if I fulfilled every goal I had, even if we made the kind of money that we wanted to make, even if we had everything, all our goals were met, so what? And I remember thinking at that, at that point, this thought went through my head. Life is a waste of time. I mean, it's, there's, there's no point to life. And, and I thought, if this is all life, this question went, went through my mind. If this is all life has to offer, what a ripoff. Just what a ripoff. And, and, and um, then this person left me with two questions. And the first question was, well, what if there is a God? Just what if there is? And the second question was, hey, what if there's a heaven and a hell? Just what if there is? And then pop, my mind came back. It's kind of like, it's kind of, it was almost like I was having an out-of-body experience. And all of a sudden, it's like, pop, my mind was back. And I was, I was absolutely shocked by the whole experience. I didn't have any explanation for it. And I was really shook, and I was frightened. I got up from the table as fast as I could. I grabbed my books. I ran out to the parking lot, got in my car, drove home. And um, Linda mentioned in her, her, her story how she was starting to watch Billy Graham on television. Well, this is the very first time that I ever knew that she did that. I walked into our apartment, and Linda was sitting, had beat me home that day, was sitting in the, in the center of the floor in our apartment preparing her school lessons. She had a, one of those... Big, you know, one of those space-type hair dryers that ladies used to have? Uh, that tells you how old we really are, actually. She had one of those things stuck on her head. And so, and she was watching this, she was watching Billy Graham on television. And when I opened the door and I saw her, I, I mean, the, t the TV was facing the door. When I saw Billy Graham on TV, I knew who he was. I didn't have any use for him at that point, but I knew who he was. And I couldn't believe that Linda was actually watching him because we had known each other for six years to that point we'd been married for two years we had dated for four years not one time had we ever had a conversation about God not one time and so all of a sudden I'm standing in the doorway and she's watching this famous evangelist on TV and if I hadn't had that encounter at the university I would have changed the channel or shut the TV off and said hey let's watch something what are we watching this guy for but because I was so shook up, I just stood in the doorway stunned for a minute. She was so into what Billy Graham was preaching, she didn't even know I was in the room. I said something to her. She never answered me. I went in the kitchen, put my books down. I thought, well, I'll just do my homework. So I'm at the kitchen table. I'm not, I can't see the TV, but I can hear it. And after a while, I realized, you know, I'm not doing my homework. I'm actually listening to what this guy's saying in the next room. And I realized... What he's talking about on the television is what was going through my head half an hour ago in the cafeteria. And so it grabbed me. And so I thought, I, I want to, and I, I stood up, and I went to the doorway. I didn't want Linda to think I was the least bit interested in this because in my mind, a real man would not be interested in any of that stuff. I considered myself a man's man, and you just would not, no man would be interested in 
religion or anything like that. So I didn't want her to think that I was interested, so I kind of tried to slouch against the door jam and just kind of casually listen to this. But before I, after a while, somehow I made my way to the couch, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm listening to this guy preach. And I, I actually have sweat running down my face. And, and he's, of course, he, you know, back in those years, Billy, I don't know how many, how, Billy back in those years was in his prime. And he was a pretty hell and brimstone type kind of preacher. He was going for it, talking about sin. And I had a revelation. The revelation I had was, I'm a sinner. You say, well, didn't you know that? No, I didn't. Now, I, I lived a pretty wild, I mean, Linda said that she was a good girl growing up. Well, I was on the opposite end of that whole stick. In fact, when her parents found out I was dating her, they were not very happy about that. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't have been happy to have me, a guy like me, dating their daughter either. Um, so anyhow, um, I, but I didn't consider myself to be a sinner. I consider, if you say, well, you know, what kind of person are you? I would have said, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anybody. Amen? Isn't that the standard answer? I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, if there is a heaven, I would go. I mean, I would never go to hell. I mean, I used to joke about hell with my buddies. We'd get drinking and we'd say, well, you know, let's go to hell. I mean, that's just warm there and all our friends were there. That'd be true. All our friends were there, actually. Um, but but I, was, you know, I never took that serious. But all of a sudden, as this man is preaching... I get a revelation. You're the guy he's talking about. You're going to hell. That just went wham. And so at the end of the program, I was glad when he finished. I mean, I wanted it to end. I couldn't, couldn't pull myself away from it. I wasn't enjoying it. Um, not at all. I mean, I was under deep conviction. And, and at the end of it, this was what went through my head. If what that guy's saying is his opinion... So what? I have an opinion. He's got an opinion. Doesn't matter. Right? We can have opinions about all kinds of things. So what? You're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to mine. So if that's just his opinion, no big deal. But if if in fact what he's saying is true, it's the truth, then I'm in a lot of trouble. That's what that was. And I didn't know which way it was. I didn't know whether that was just his opinion or what he was saying was true. I mean, there are things in life that are true, right? I mean, there is such a thing called gravity. If you don't believe me, get up on the roof and have a leap, and you'll learn about it. Amen? Let me tell you what will happen to you. You're for sure going to break your leg. You're going to break something. You may not even live, but if you don't believe in gravity, just jump up top there and take a leap uh, and see what happens. You'll find out that it's true. It's not a matter of opinion, right? So if what this man was saying was that kind of truth... That there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is a God, there is something called sin, and there are people called sinners, which I was, if if he's correct, then I'm in a lot of trouble here. Well, the next night, I mean, I was glad it was over. Linda and I, when the program was over, we never talked about it. We never said a word to each other. Um, Next day, uh, I came home from school. The same scenario played out a second time. When I got home, Linda beat me home, he's on again. I sit down at the couch, I break into a sweat. I thought I'm going to hell. 
Uh, if he's right, if it's his opinion, doesn't matter, but if it's true, third night, come home the next, the third day, same scenario plays out a third time. Coming in the apartment, she's beat me home, he's on TV, I sit down, we went through it three times in a row. Never one time did Linda and I talk about it. A few weeks went by, and I was driving to the university one day, and I caught myself driving in a manner which I did not drive. I caught myself driving the speed limit. I caught myself stopping at stop signs. I caught myself not running the yellow light. And I, what happened to me is I was sitting at an intersection in my car, stopped at a stop sign, looking this way, looking that way, looking this way. I don't know how long I sat at this stop sign. I was afraid to cross the intersection. I just kept looking and looking. And then it hit me, what are you doing? You don't drive this way. You drive fast and furious, right? You don't drive this way. What, what's wrong with you? Why are you sitting at this intersection afraid to drive through the intersection? And, that, and then it dawned on me, you're afraid to get in a car accident. Because if you get in a car accident and die, you're going to hell. You know it. That's why you're afraid. That's why you're driving ultra careful, <laughs> defensive driving. And so then I just thought, there, I thought this is craziness. I got to figure this out. I got, I got to sort this out somehow. Now, I had only been in church, in a church building at this stage of my life. I'd only been in a church building one time. That was the day Linda and I got married. That was my only church experience. It was in a Presbyterian church. We got married. I'd never been in a church building before or since. And so I thought, I, need to, I have questions. I need to talk to somebody. I got to find out if, there's, if there really is a heaven and a hell and if there is a heaven, I, got, I wonder if there's a way for me to get there. But I, I actually, to be honest with you, I felt like I was doomed. I felt like there's no way out for me. Somehow in my heart, I knew I'm going to hell. That I'm a sinner, I'm going to hell, and I don't know how to get to heaven. And I don't even know if it's possible. And I remember thinking, I, I missed an intersection here somewhere. So how do I get off on the wrong track? And I don't know, I don't have an answer. And even though Billy Graham had preached it, I didn't understand it. It went over my head. I understood I was going to hell. I understood I was a sinner. I didn't understand how to come to Christ. I didn't understand how to have eternal life. That went over my head. You say, well, why? It's so simple. Why would that go over your head? I'll tell you why. When you're a, a lost person, the whole concept of grace is a foreign concept. It's, you're not, you, your brain does I mean, if you've been a Christian a long time, and you're raised in a Christian family, well, yeah, you understand grace. You were raised in it. You've been in it a long time. But when you come out of the world, when you come out of a, a place of not even believing in God, the whole idea of grace is such a foreign idea that you can't get your head around it. And so even though he preached it, I didn't get it. So <clears throat> I thought, I got all these questions. I want to I talk to somebody. That's not on a TV set. I want to actually sit down with a flesh and blood person, and I got a ton of questions. So I thought, where am I going to find a person that can give me intelligent answers? I don't want just some religious gobbledygook. I want logical, one-on-one -on -one equals two kind of an explanation. Because I'm not sure this is all true. And I, I'm not about to buy a religion. I'm not about to buy anything like that. It's got to be the truth. It's got to be real. If God is really real, then I'm interested. If he's just some kind of religious concept to make people feel better, I'm not interested. And so I thought, where am I going to find such a person? 
And I thought, well, I started thinking of my friends. I thought, they're as lost as me, man. They're, they're, they're not going to help me. So I thought, where am I going to find a person that, I, that can talk to me? I thought, I'm probably going to have to go to a church, which I did not want to do. But I thought, it's probably the only place I'm going to find a, a person that can answer my questions. So uh, the next Sunday, a Sunday morning, we got up. And I was kind of shuffling around. You know, I just remember shuffling around the kitchen, trying to work out the curves. And finally, I said, Linda, kind of out of the corner of my mouth, uh, how'd you like to go to church? And she, she was hungry. She was being stirred. She jumped out. She said, yeah, let's go to church. So then it came down to, well, which church? Well, what, what, what kind of experience do we have? Well, we've been to a Presbyterian church. That's the only experience we have. So let's, let's go there. So we pulled the paper out. This was in the days before the Internet. Pull out the paper. We find a big church downtown in the city. So they said, let's go there. So we went to this big church, hundreds and hundreds of people at this congregation. I just wanted to meet somebody. I didn't care about the message or anything about it. I just want to meet a person to talk to. And so we couldn't. We went several weeks, couldn't meet anybody. And, and so finally, after several weeks, I got a brown manila envelope in the mail one day. And it was from the church. And I got really excited. I said, hey, Linda. They actually know we exist. We got some, they sent us something. I wonder what they sent us. So I ripped open this brown, big brown manila envelope, and all these white envelopes kept tumbling out. And I thought, what are these things? It was like, like this. I said, what, what, are, what, what are these things for? And then I realized it's for money. They want money. I can't meet anybody. I can't talk to anybody. Send money. I was so mad, I tore the whole thing up, threw it in the garbage can. said, that's it. It's what, I, it's what I thought church was. It's all about the money. They don't care about me or anybody. Just write a check. So I said, we're done, man. It's, the whole thing's fake. It's phony. That's it. We're done. So, but the next day, I went and get in the car, drive the university, and all the way there, I hear this voice in my head. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Just went on and on. You're going to hell. And so after a few weeks, I couldn't handle it anymore. I said, okay, I said to Linda one morning, okay, let's try one more time. I said, we tried the big fancy church downtown. They only, we can't even talk to them. Nobody will meet me. So I said, let's find a small church in the slum of the city. Let's go to the very poorest part of the city, and let's find a small church. So we did. We went in the paper. Hey, there's a Presbyterian church in the slum of the city, uh, and it's small. Let's go down there. So we went down there, and uh, the first Sunday, the pastor met me at the door. He said, can I visit you? I said, you bet. You, you bet. You come visit me. So I gave him my address. Two nights later on a Tuesday night, he showed up. Knock came to the door. I opened the door. It was him. And so when I saw him, I'm going to use Randy as an illustration. When I saw him, and this is the truth, I was so desperate I grabbed him by his shirt, get up, and I pulled, I, pulled him, I pulled him into my house, and I sat him in a chair. Okay, you can sit down, Randy. The guy was frightened out of his mind. He thought I was going to beat him up. I think he thought it was a setup, and I was going to roll him, that I was just going to rob him, right? <laughs> but I was, so, I was in panic mode by this point in time. And, and so I started firing questions at him. I mean, we sat there for three hours. I started firing questions, firing questions at him about God and how do we know God's real and, and who's Jesus and 
What, and, and he kept answering me out of the Bible. Now, I, had, I didn't own a Bible. I'd never read a Bible. I had no idea. And so he kept answering me out of this book. And he quotes scripture. And as he's doing it and answering me, I'm thinking, I'm believing this. Why am I believing this? Why am I believing this? I remember that I was just asking myself that question. Why, does, why do I know, somehow I know he's telling me the truth. And, and it made sense. This, this guy was explaining salvation to me in a way that was logical, and it made sense. And when he explained about Jesus dying on a cross, and, and that we never could be good, that none of us could be good enough, that there, no matter how good you are, it's too late. You've already sinned one time at least. In fact, you were born in iniquity. Amen? You don't have a chance. You're done. And when he explained that to me, and he explained that what, what Jesus did, how Jesus came and walked this earth, was subject to every temptation yet without sin, willingly chose to go to a cross, and God gathered all the sins of all mankind, including mine, and put them on Jesus, and Jesus paid the full price and took my punishment on the cross, paid the full price, and now God can give me eternal life as a free gift. And my part is I, I have the choice to receive it or reject it, but at least I have the choice. And I thought, this is the first time that somebody's explained this to me in a logical way. This makes sense. And I realized it couldn't be any other way. There's no other way. There's no other possible way for God to save us. He has to, he, ha, he can't just give it to us. Somebody has to pay the price. Somebody has to pay. He paid. He took it upon himself. He took his punishment upon himself so he can give it to us for free. And my part is, I can receive it or I can reject it. When he, said, when he explained that to me, here's what, here's what I said to him. I said, this is the best news I've ever heard. That's what I said. I said that right out loud. This is the best news I've ever heard. And then I said this. I'd have to be an idiot not to receive this. <laughs> and I fell on my knees and accepted Jesus right there. Well, Linda was sitting in a corner. She didn't say a word all night. She just watched this interchange between me and this pastor. And she didn't say a word. But when I fell on my knees and received Jesus, she got saved at the same time with eyes wide open. Amen. She believed. Because you know what? It's, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's believing that saves you. And I say, well, what does believing mean? Believing means to put your full trust in. It means to put your full weight upon. And so you're sitting in a chair here tonight, and I don't see any of you sitting here in fear thinking that that chair is going to collapse under your weight at any second. I don't see that. You're all trusting in the chair you're sitting in. True? In other words, you're believing in the chair to actually be a chair to hold you up. Correct? Well, it's the same thing with Jesus. I'm believing in Jesus to be a Savior who's going to give me eternal life, who paid for all my sins. I'm putting my full weight on that. I'm not trying in any way to earn anything because I can't. Right? And that's, and that's, it's that simple. And it's lo totally logical. And it's the only way it could possibly be. There's no other logical explanation. You know, many people don't receive Jesus because nobody's ever explained it to them in a way that makes sense. True? 
And so I got saved. Well, can I tell you something? When Linda and I got saved that night, we got saved. Because I'm an all, all or nothing kind of person. It's either true or it's not true. If it's not true, I don't want anything to do with it. If it is true, then I want all that has to do with it. A- anything else is illogical. I don't understand Christians who poke at it. I don't understand it. You know, when I, so then we started going to a church. Well, in my mind, I'd never been to a church before. And I, in my mind, everybody in church was absolutely on fire for God. I mean, that's what I expected. I expected every Christian to be red hot in love with Jesus, all out going for it. I mean, that's what I would thought. I was in awe of Christians. So I went to church thinking, wow. I felt like, you know, I, hardly, I don't even deserve to be here. I don't even deserve to even be in a, I don't even deserve to be called a Christian. Somehow I squeaked in. I mean, and, and then there's all these mature saints that are on fire for God, and they just know God, and I'm trying to figure this out still. And, you know, it took me a couple of years to figure out, you know, how come not everybody here is as excited as me? I couldn't, it's just, I remember being baffled by, like, what's wrong with you? And, and it was actually a bit disillusioning for me to find out that not everybody, not everybody here was as excited about Jesus as I was excited about Jesus. And why aren't you excited about Jesus? Amen? Let me ask you tonight. Why aren't you? If you're not excited about Jesus, why aren't you excited about Jesus? He's the most exciting person in the universe. Well, then as time went on, I started reading my Bible. And, of course, I was in a, I was in a very conservative evangelical church at that time that didn't believe in anything other than going to heaven. They didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe in healing. They didn't believe in any of this stuff. And, but I kept reading my Bible and reading my Bible. And I thought, well, they're saying that all this passed away 2,000 years ago. But I keep reading in my Bible. It doesn't sound to me like it passed away 2,000 years ago. And, you know, I wonder if God actually heals anybody today. I mean, can you get filled? Is there such a thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know, how about the gifts of the Spirit, like words of knowledge, words of wisdom, speaking in tongues? Is that... Is that, is that really possible to have it today? And, and uh, so I remember one of the, um, <clears throat> I, uh, Linda and I had moved to Swan River Valley. I was teaching high school there. And uh, one day, I was maybe just a Christian, maybe two years at this point. And one day Linda was, was downtown uh, getting groceries, and I was looking after our two young kids. They were both having their afternoon nap. And... Um, and I was reading my Bible. And I, I, I turned to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 4, this verse that leapt right off the page at me. In ver- Ephesians 1 verse 4 says this. He chose you before the foundation of the world. When I read that phrase, wow. I thought, wow. When there were no planets in the sky, when there was no stars, when there was no universe... Before Adam and Eve, when there was no earth, when there was nothing, God knew you by name and picked you. Now, I don't know if that blows your fuses, but it blew mine. And I thought, wow. He knew me when there was nothing, and he made his choice to choose me. And when I read that, I thought, if that's true, then God has a plan for me. Because you see, up to that point, 
I was just thinking, okay, I'm just happy to be saved and not going to hell. I'm just happy to go to heaven. I'm not thinking that God is all that interested beyond that. I'm not, I didn't understand that God, I could actually interact with God. I just felt like he paid the price, and I got my get-out-of-jail-free card, and I was happy with that. If nothing, there was nothing more in life, I'm happy with that. But then I found out, whoa, whoa, he's got a plan. And I started thinking, did I choose my parents? No. Did I choose the time in which I would be born? No. Did I choose my body? No, I wish I had. I would have chose a better one. Amen? So <laughs> I didn't get a choice. Neither did you. Did I choose my personality? No. I didn't choose any of those things. Who made those choices? God did. That means that God has a plan. So then this thought hit me. I got to have the plan. What's the plan? If he's got a plan for me, wouldn't it be an absolute tragedy for me to show up on time at the right place, the right time, with the right gift mix to do God's plan and not fulfill the plan? To come to the end of my life and realize, you know what, I just blew my whole life. Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven, but I didn't live the plan. And so I fell on my knees. I said, God, I got to have the plan. And so I thought, how do I get the plan? Well, I, I, learned, a, I learned a few key principles that has guided me right through to this day. I prayed a prayer that day that I'm still living off of. And here was my prayer. I prayed this. I said, Lord, I'll tell you what. I understand now that you've got a plan for me. I don't know what it is, but I want to know what it is. I said, Here's what I'm, I'm going to make a deal with you. Here's my deal. I'm going to trust you that you're going to do whatever you have to do in my life to get me to live the plan. I'm going to, I don't trust Dave Wells at all. I don't trust me. I'm a screw-up. You leave it in my hands, I'll mess it up. So I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to believe you that you're going to sovereignly do whatever you have to do in me to get me to the end. I want to be able to stand at the end of the finish line and be able to say with Paul, hey, I kept the faith. I ran my course. Amen. And now God's got, you know, he's got great things stored up for me in heaven, man. I did it. I crossed the finish line. I want to be able to say that at the end of my life. I don't want to get to the end and say, oh, man, did I ever blow this? I don't want to do that. So I said, here's the deal. Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm trusting you to get me there. And here's my part. That's your part of the deal. My part of the deal is this. I'm going to take every opportunity to serve you. I'll never say no to you because of fear. I'll never say no to you because I've never done it before. I'm not going to be a picker and a chooser. I'm not going to say, well, I'll do that, but I won't do this. I'll take, I won't pry open any doors of opportunity, but any door you open, I'm going through it. I don't care what it is. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, any place, any time. If you open it, I'm going. And I'm not prying open anything. That was the deal. And so I got up from my, that prayer pretty satisfied with myself. A few days, three days went by. One day I got a phone call. And uh, on the phone was a pastor, a local pastor in our community. I didn't know. He introduced himself. Hey, I'm a pastor. And Dave, we were talking about you at our local ministerial meeting. I said, you were? Why? Because I, I was a high school teacher at that point in time, and I was attending a church, but I, I had no church involvement at that point. He says, yeah, we were talking about you, and we're really excited that you're a Christian and that you're in the high school. And we decided that we, want, uh, we wanted somebody to start an interdenominational youth ministry in the high school because kids were being bussed in from all the surrounding towns into Swan River, and it was a regional high school there. And we, would like, we think you're the guy to start this youth ministry. Well, I've never led anything in my life before, nothing. And he said, we think you're the guy. I'm thinking, are you kidding? 
And so I'm going to say no, absolutely no way. The thought just petrified me. And just as I was going to say no, the Holy Spirit showed up and said, hey, what did you say to me three days ago? And here's what I said. In my heart, my mind, I said, oh, my God, he heard that prayer. <laughs> and, and he was testing me on it. He said, all right, it's a deal. And as I threw the gauntlet down, God picked it up said, deal, you're on. And then I thought, if I say no to this, then I wasn't serious three days ago. And so I have no choice. So I said, I heard myself saying, okay, I'll do it. And I was petrified. But can I tell you that, make a long story short, God began to work with us, and we had revival for three years. We had 150 kids in our youth ministry. I had 70 kids that were in my classroom three days a week for prayer at noon hours. The chairman of the school board, who was a Christian, came to me privately one day and said, Dave, I'm so thrilled that you're doing this, that you have, a, you have a cart, you have an open blank check. You can use the high school for anything you want. You can take it over on weekends. I'm going to talk to your principal and tell him to leave you alone. You can do whatever you want in that high school. You have a free reign, and I have enough power to stop anybody that will oppose you. And so on the weekends, and that's what happened. <clears throat> on the weekends, on the weekends, I started Christian I started a, coffee, started a coffee house ministry. We brought in contemporary music groups from all over the country, brought them in. We packed that place out. I trained the Christian kids to share their faith. They were going up and down the hallway sharing Jesus. Uh, like I say, I had 70 kids three times a week praying, calling on God. We had a glorious run. Amen. And one thing led to another. We ended up in the ministry plant churches. Linda talked to you about that. <clears throat> one of the, the, the few, so. The three, the things that have really affected, really have been keys in my life. Linda shared some of that, shared some things to do with her life. The first one is this: be available. I mean, really be available. Not just say it. I mean, what I did that day was I said I'm available, any place, anywhere, anytime. I can't. I I could stand here all night and just share with you some of the places we've been to. I mean, never in a million years would I have ever imagined that I'd be ministering to the underground church in Vietnam. Uh, smuggling Bibles into China, uh, up in the Himalayas in Nepal, and on. I would never in a million years have ever imagined myself doing any of those things. And it's still happening. I mean, I, I'm not done yet. Uh, the story's still going. But the point is this. I'm available. And what I realize is this. God's no respect to persons. It's just as available to you as it is to me. There's no difference between you and me. I'm not anybody special. I'm an ordinary guy who got saved, who figured out one day that God had a plan for his life. Well, you know what? He chose you before the foundation of the world as well. True? Didn't he? Does he have a plan for you? Yeah, and you know what? You're perfect for it. You don't want to be anybody else because your personality and your gift mix and the, people, the parents that you were born to and your race and the time in which you live, you didn't choose any of those things. God did. And he doesn't make any mistakes, so you're perfect for what God has in mind. The only tragedy would be is you don't live out what God has in mind. And so that was number one. The second thing is, early on I realized that actually God would speak to me. He, that actually he wasn't some God that was far off who saved me, just kind of wound it up, saved me, and I'll see you later. That actually he would talk to me right now. That actually I could have a, a close, personal relationship with him, which wasn't just a theological thought, but was actually real, that I actually could begin to hear his voice. That really excited me. Wow. 
And so I started hearing his voice. And when I started hearing his voice, I started seeing supernatural things happen. And then I, I learned that early on that, you know what? God actually does heal the sick. And, uh, but I'd never seen it. I'd never seen anybody prayed for. I'd never seen anybody. And I was in this church, this conservative church that didn't believe in it. While this church didn't have a pastor because they fired their pastor. I was only in that church a year. They fired their pastor. I couldn't believe it. They fired him because he got a little weepy when he preached, and they didn't like it. They didn't like any emotion at all because they were against emotionalism. That just meant zero emotion. So he had a few tears trickle down his face when he preached, so they fired him. And I couldn't, I'm a brand new Christian. I thought, you fired my pastor. Why? And, they, and then they couldn't get another one. For years, they couldn't get another pastor because the church had a reputation of being a pastor-eater church. Nobody would go there. So finally, one day in desperation, they approached me and they said, Dave, you're a school teacher. You speak in front of people. Will you preach? And of course, what's my prayer? Any pl- I'll take every opportunity. So I said, all right. And I practiced on them for four years. They deserved it, right? <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, they couldn't get a pastor for four years. They had me. And so that's why I started preaching. And uh, anyhow, uh, for a period of time in there, for a six-month period, they did something unheard of. They actually got a, they hired a Pentecostal pastor as an interim pastor for six months. I couldn't believe they did it. And the very first night he preached was on a Sunday night. And Linda and I looked at one another and I thought, whoa, this guy, something different about this guy. And so we invited him to our house. And every Sunday night we invite him to our house and we started picking his brain. Like, hey. Are the gifts of the Spirit for today? Yeah. Uh, you believe in healing? Yeah. Have you ever prayed for the sick? Yes. Hey, um, do you believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah. Prophecy? Yeah. And so we started asking, how, do the, how does that work? How, does, how, do, how do you get a word of wisdom? How do you get a word of knowledge? How do you prophesy? So I remember one night saying, hey, um, how do you prophesy? He says, you want to have a prophet? You want to prophesy, Dave? I said, yeah, I'd like to prophesy. He says, okay. It's just him and I and Linda, three of us in our house. He said, okay, let's go out to the kitchen and we'll sit around the table. We're going out there. Linda whispers to me. She's in panic. She says, Dave, Dave, we're going to have a seance. We're going to have a seance. Because <laughs> 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 so, we never, we didn't know. We had never seen anything like this before. So we sat around the table. We, it got worse. We sat around the table and we held hands, right? <laughs> and so... So he prays this prayer. He says, hey, God, would you give Dave a prophecy? Amen. And so then we just sit there quietly. I'm thinking, then I realize he wants me to prophesy. How does this work? So I'm just waiting, waiting. And finally I thought, what should I do? I thought, you know what? I'm just going to open my mouth and go for it. So I opened my mouth and, you know what? I prophesied. Ten words, but it was a start. And, and, uh, and we began to learn. He began to he began to disciple us and teach us how to work in the gifts of spirit. Well, our, our friends started hearing about this. Say, hey, how, what's this we hear about you got a private mentor on Sunday nights and you're keeping this all to yourself? And so our whole house filled up with people, people that were hungry, and, 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 uh, which eventually became a church. But anyhow, um, one night he called me and he said, you know, Dave, there's, um, there's somebody in our congregation that's dying of heart disease. They're bedridden. And they're, they're, they're not, they're not going to make it. And they asked me if we, I'd come over and pray for them. He said, would you like to come with me? I said, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see you pray for the sick. 
because I'd never seen anybody pray for for, the, for healing. So I went with him, went to this woman's house, and she was laying on the bed. She was in bed. She couldn't, she couldn't, move, she couldn't walk. And uh, she was about 50 years old, and, or maybe late 40s. And um, so we, you know, you have the coffee and the cookies, and then it comes time to pray. And so he then turns to me and says, okay, Dave, I want you to pray for her. I said, What? I, I don't know how to pray for the sick, a sick person. I've never seen it. What, what's the prayer for the sick look like? I mean, what, what do you say? I didn't have a clue. I was petrified. And he says, yeah, I want you to go over there and pray for that woman right now. And so I remember walking across the room, and my head was bombarded. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what the prayer is. What are the right words? I'm going to pray. I don't have any faith. I believe she's going to die. I'm going to pray for her. She's going to die. It's going to be my fault. I didn't have enough faith for her. I mean, that's what's all going through my head. I, this is a disaster. He should be praying. I, this woman's life is on the line, and I'm going to pray this faithless prayer, and she's going to die, and it's my fault. That's what I was thinking. So I went over there. I mumbled some kind of faithless prayer. She was totally healed. Boom. In fact, she's still alive. I mean, she called me a few months ago. She's in her 90s. She's in her 90s. She's still going, right? Still going strong. And uh, I was the first person I ever prayed for. <clears throat> well, then I got feeling pretty good about myself. Hey, man, I'm God's man of faith and power. Bring him. Right? <laughs> And uh, so, you know, we, we pray, started praying for people. People started getting healed. And uh, we were feeling, you know, I was, I was getting like a helium balloon. I was getting pretty, getting, feeling pretty good here. And uh, then my wife got sick. And, you know, no, not a problem. We'll in the name of Jesus this away. I mean, we'd done it before. No problem. Well, I'm trying all my formulas and all my prayers, and she's not getting better. She's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And finally... We had to take her by ambulance from Swan River to Winnipeg, 300 miles. And she's in, she's in the hospital, and they're trying all their stuff, and nothing's working. And she's losing weight and losing weight, and finally she's down to 80 pounds. And she looks like she came out of the concentration camp. She's a skeleton with skin on it, and, and we're losing her. And um, the doctor came to me one night. He said, Dave, I want to talk to you. And he said these words to me. He said, um, See, I was getting to the place where I didn't even believe in doctors or hospitals or anything. I thought that's, you know, just, that's just for people who don't have faith. And I thought I understood faith, and I didn't understand anything. I just thought I did. And so the Lord, the doctor came and said, well, Dave, he says, I want permission to operate on your wife because she was too sick to give permission herself. And he said, I want permission to operate on her, but I want to warn you that she has only a 50-50 chance of getting off the operating table alive. Because she's so sick and she's so weak that we're not, we're don't, we don't, we're not sure she can survive the surgery. But, but uh, and it was, it was like, it was going to be like 13 hours of surgery. And he said, we don't think, we don't know if she can survive that. But we, but he said, we don't have a choice. If we don't operate on her, she's going to die. That's your choice. Make, what are you going to do? So I gave permission. But I was mad. I was really mad. I was angry at God. As he walked down the hallway, I shook my fist at the ceiling, and I yelled out loud. I didn't care. I yelled right out loud. I said, God, how do you expect me to believe you for anything anymore? Where are you? And I was just I was yelling in the hospital. And so that night, I mean, they, they did the surgery, 
And I'd promised Linda that I would stay with her day and night. Because obviously she was frightened. So after the, night, the night of her surgery, she, they put her in a room, and I was sitting with her. And she was unconscious. And I was absolutely depressed and discouraged and angry at God and totally having a faith crisis. And I'm sitting in this chair just looking at Linda, just so depressed. And about 3 in the morning, I just got tired of sitting in a chair. I was just sitting in a chair the way you're sitting in tonight, just a straight-back chair. And finally, I got up, and I just went down the hallway, went to the waiting room, a visitor room. I'm sitting there. And uh, while I'm sitting there, um, this young girl comes in at 3 in the morning and sits across the room from me and lights up a cigarette, and she's sitting there smoking. And, uh, and so... Um, so we're looking at one another, and finally I said to her, what are you doing here at 3 o'clock in the morning? She said, well, I got this disease, which is the same, not quite the same, but very similar to the disease Linda had. She said, I have this disease that's attacked my whole digestive system. I can't eat food. I've been basically chained to this hospital for seven years. They feed me through a tube, and I get to go home a little bit, but then I'm back here because I can't digest food. And so they feed me through a tube. And she was 25 years old. She'd been there since she was 18. Her name was Susan. And so I'm looking at her, and I hear these words come kind of my mouth. I can't believe I've said them. Can I pray for you? And she's not, she's not a Christian. She said, sure, why not? So I, I walk over to her. I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said something like, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I didn't pray my best prayer. I didn't have a best prayer anymore. I just prayed, mumbled some faithless prayer and went down the hallway, went back to Linda's room. Well, it so turned out that Susan's room was next door to Linda's room. And so the next morning, I got up, and I mean, I went out in the hallway about 9 in the morning, and I, her door was open. Susan's door was open. I look in there, and she's sitting there eating breakfast, a full breakfast. She's just eating it. And three days later, she went home. And totally well, totally healed. She was instantly healed. And, and, uh, and about a week later, I'm in, Linda's starting to recover. I'm a, a week later, I'm in Linda's room. The door's shut, and I hear this, my name being called in the hallway. Dave Wells, Dave Wells, there's a, is there a Dave Wells around here somewhere? I thought it was a doctor actually looking for me. So I open the door, and I see this elderly couple standing there, which surprised me. And they said, I said, I'm Dave Wells. So I said, who are you? And they said, we're Susan's parents. We came to find you. We haven't seen our daughter like this in seven years. And they just threw their arms around me and started blubbering and thanking me. And, and, for, and, and uh, so for the next several months, every, they just kept phoning me. They got my phone number. They kept phoning me. Thank you. Thank you for praying for our daughter. Finally, after about a year, uh, they, they prayed for they, they phoned me one day. And uh, I, so I thought, you know, I said, so I said to them, tell me. I said, what's Susan up to these days? Now that she's healed, I said, is she giving God glory? Is she serving the Lord? They said, oh, no, she's in party mode. She's making up for lost time. Uh, she's just partying and celebrating, boozing. And I just, I thought, I just started yelling at God again. I thought, my wife's a godly woman, and she's gone through hell, and I pray some faithless prayer for this girl who has no intention of even thanking you, and you instantly heal her. How does this work? <clears throat> Um, Linda had, when they did the surgery on her, they could only do half of it um, because she couldn't, they just had to sew her up because they were going to lose her. So they, they said she's got to come back 
in uh, three weeks to have the second round two, but then it, three weeks turned to three months. So three months went by, I went for round two. Well, when she was in surgery, I went to the special room where I could wait when the doctor would come and talk to me about how she made out. He, as soon as the surgery was over, he'd come and talk to me. So I was in this room, and there was a guy in there who had obviously been sleeping there all night. And so I'm, I'm sitting there in a corner. It was dark. It was in the middle. It was in December, and it was early in the morning, and uh, I didn't want to wake him up. So I'm just sitting in the corner, depressed, and he wakes up about 9, and he's kind of sitting on the edge of the couch with his face buried in his hands, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, go pray for him. No, he said, go, go share the gospel with him. And I was mad at God, so I said, no, I'm not doing it. And I, here's what I said to the Lord. I said, why should I help you? You're not helping me. That's what I said to him. And uh, so then I had, I had like a videotape went off my head. Boom. I had a vision, actually. And in the vision, I saw myself getting up, walking across the room, sitting down beside him, asking him a question, him answering the question, and me leading him to Jesus. I saw it in the spirit. And then, bang, I popped back, and the Lord said, now go ask him that question. So I, he had my attention now, so I said, all right. So I got up, I walked across the room, but I said this to the Lord, okay, God, I'm going to ask him that question, but I'm not going to help you save this guy. I mean, I had, I had such a terrible attitude. I'm not going to help you. I'm just going to ask the question. I'm doing the minimum. But, so I sat down, but I knew he was going to be saved, because it's like seeing a movie you've already seen three times. So I sat down, I asked him the question, he gives me the answer, and within five minutes I led him to Christ. His name is Mick Burney, I still remember his name. So then I said to him, what are you doing here? Well, he was, he was 22 years old. He'd just been married a year. He said, I came home from, I came home from work a, uh, a week or so ago, and I found my wife unconscious on the kitchen floor in a coma. I said, we said, we've had her in three hospitals. This is in Winnipeg. Had her in three hospitals, and they can't figure out why she's in a coma, and she's going deeper and deeper in the coma. She's on total life support system now. She can't breathe on her own. We're losing her. She's dying. She's in intensive care. So this verse of scripture popped into my head. Psalm 103, verse 3. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. I said, yeah, right. My wife's in surgery right now. And so I said to him, I said, hey, you know what? I quote that verse to him. I said, the first part of this verse came true in your life. I said, he says, also says he heals all our diseases. I said, can I pray for your wife? He said, sure. Put my hand on his shoulder. I said this, Jesus, please make this man's wife well. Amen. Not exactly your most faith-filled rockin' prayer. Amen? So he said, thanks, Dave. He got up. I'm going to go check on her. So he went, and I'm kind of walking around this room by myself, and after about half an hour, I went down to the hallway and walking back and forth in front of the operating theater praying for Linda, and intensive care is around the corner. And after about half an hour, this nurse came out of intensive care, and so I was curious. So I stopped her. I said, hey, how's Mrs. McBurney doing? And the nurse says, oh, she's coming out of that coma. And after about 10 minutes, her husband came out, the guy that, that had, you know, had come to Christ. He's leaping and jumping like the lame man at the gate. He sees me. He jumps on me. He's blubbering away. He's pounding me in the back. He says, Dave, 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 she's totally backed. She's come out of the coma. They're unhooking the life support equipment from her. And he's blubbering a bunch of other stuff. And he ran down the stairs. And I went like this to the ceiling. I said, God, you did it again. And I said to the Lord, you know what I feel like, God? I feel like I'm in a cage, and you're poking me with a stick. You're just tormenting me. I mean, my wife's in surgery, and you're not healing her, but every person I pray for around her gets healed. And what the Lord was showing me was this. You see, I was thinking that I was this great man of faith and power. What God was making very clear to me, it's not your faith at all. 
It's my faith in you that heals the sick. It's not your faith. And you are, and by the way, Dave, you are in no position to even evaluate whether you have faith or don't have faith. The times when you think you are this great faith, you have, you're not a man of faith and power, you're a man of paste and flour. <laughs> and, and so it's not my, your faith, it's my faith in you. And so when you, pay, when you pray a faithless prayer, that's good enough. I can work with that. And so what he was showing me, he was showing me, hey, faithless prayers work because it's me. Faith the size of a mustard seed can blow a mountain in the sea. So many times, church, we don't pray for the sick because we don't think we have enough faith. It doesn't, it's not a matter of how much faith you have. Forget trying to evaluate how much faith you have or don't have. Just pray for the sick. Just do it. That's what I learned out of that. I don't hesitate now. Somebody's sick, I'll pray for them. It doesn't matter what it is. Pray for them. You know, a few, a few months ago, I was in Poland. And uh, we, we, it was just, there's a strong sense of God's presence in Poland. And one night, we were, we were praying for people. We just, we just anybody wants prayer, just come forward. And, and, um, and so in Poland, when you get an altar call, like if I give an altar call here, maybe many of you would come forward at the same time. In Poland, they don't do that. They just come one at a time. And uh, the rest just sit there. And you think, well, nobody, this, is a, this is a dud. Nobody's responding. No, no, they're responding. They're just coming one at a time. So I'm standing in, in, front of the, in front of the church this one night. And we were just praying for anything. And this... I saw this woman get up uh, and make her way to the aisle. And when she got to the aisle, she burst right out laughing, just burst out in riotous laughter. And then she, as she came up the aisle, she's just laughing her head off. And she came in front of me. She's still laughing like crazy. So I said to my interpreter, I said, ask her why she's laughing. So he did. And she said, well, she said, I have this really bad knee that's been, been bad for for years, and she said, I made my way to the aisle, and when I got to the aisle, the power of God hit me, and I was totally healed, and she said, that's why I started laughing, and she said, I don't need you to pray for me, and just turned around and went back to her seat, <laughs> amen, <clears throat> I like that, amen, and so um, I was in, a few months ago as well, I was in Vietnam, and I was in Nepal, and I was coming home, and I, I, I flew to Shanghai, and I, was, I caught a plane in Shanghai to fly to, fly to Vancouver. And um, when I got on the plane, I just, I just had this sense about me that God was going to do something. And so I sat down at this, in this, my seat, and this, we were just sitting there waiting for the, everybody to get on board. And this young lady came up to me, and she said, uh, sir, she said, uh, can I talk to you? I said, okay. And she said, you know, I got some kids she said, we're, we're a, a large family, and we're, we weren't able to sit together on the plane. And she said, would you be willing to give up your seat and trade seats with, uh, with one of my kids so they could sit beside me? And, and as soon as she said that, I felt the Lord say to me, divine appointment. So I stood up. I said, sure, no problem. I stood up, traded seats with her. So I had to go back, you know, back several rows, sat down. There's a Chinese guy sitting there. And uh, so I got in a conversation with him, started talking to him. And, uh, and uh, he, his English was very poor. He had to keep using the dictionary, looking for English. And so I felt like God wanted me to share the gospel with him, but I thought he doesn't even understand English. So, so, um, so then, but I felt 
just this stirring in my heart. So I started, so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. I don't know what he's going to understand. I just shared the gospel with him. So I'm sharing the gospel with him, and I'm thinking, as I'm doing, I'm thinking, this is an absolute waste of time. He doesn't understand a word I'm talking about. And so I, 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 I shared it, and then I just stopped, and I just started praying. And then I could hear this, this he, then I could hear this deep breathing. I looked over at him. He's doing less. <gasps> and he's rubbing his hands on his pants like this. <gasps> and he says to me, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? You're doing something to me. I'm thinking, I'm not, do, I'm not doing anything to you. But then I realized, God's all over this guy. He doesn't even understand what I'm talking about, but he's all over this guy. And he said, what are you doing to me? So then I just felt the Lord say, shut up. Don't say anything more. So we just, I fell asleep. We just kept flying. We are about an hour out of Vancouver. He says, Dave, Dave. He said, uh, Dave, can I ask you a question? He said, I said, okay. He says, Dave, could you help me quit smoking? I said, what? Yeah, he says, I can't quit smoking. Would you help me quit smoking? And so I thought, all right. So I said, well, I, I can't help you. I, I can pray for you. Can I pray for you? He says, okay. So I put my hand on him, started praying for him. He went to the same thing. <gasps> he just, he, so he's going to die. And so then he, then he, then he said, um, he says, um, he says, Davey said, uh, could you, uh, what are you, he says, what are you doing to me? I said, I'm not doing anything to you, man. I says, God's touching you. And so then he said, um, so then he says, Dave, would you be able to send me something I could read? He said, could you send me some stuff that I, could you, could you send me some stuff that you try to explain something to me? Could you send that to me? So I got his name and his address and sent it to him. What I'm trying to tell you is this, church. I'm going to close with this. I want to try to say this to you. God has an exciting plan for your life. He wants to use you. And if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and, let, and learn to hear God's voice and, and are just bold and just, you don't have to have any answers. You just have to, you just have to be responsive to him and be open to the Holy Spirit. And God will speak to you and give you opportunities. And you don't have to feel like you have any faith or any power or anything. You just, you just pray for everything that moves. Amen? And you'll be shocked at what God will do with you and through you. Amen? I mean, it's wide open. I mean, God, will, God wants to use every one of you in this room here tonight. Now, maybe there's somebody here tonight, and you say, well, you don't even know Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and say, I'm not, I'm not a Christian, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to go to heaven. And, and I want to, as I close tonight, I just want to share this with you. Listen, God loves you. He loves us all in this room tonight. God loves you, and the truth of the matter is, is that every one of us has sinned before God. There's not one of us in this room here tonight that has not sinned. Amen? We've all sinned. But the good news is, is that God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you and wants to deliver you and save you from your sin and give you eternal life life forever which is when I was explained to me I thought this is the best news I've ever heard and so it's so say, well how do I get that eternal life it's actually so simple that for many people it goes right over their head it comes down to this number one you admit that you need a savior you admit that you're a sinner you admit that you know what I have sinned a few times in fact the truth of the matter is we've all sinned many times 
And you need to understand that God, when God, that God loves you and I so much that he took his own son and he took all of your sin. Everybody in this room here tonight, he took all of our sin and put it on Jesus 2,000 plus years ago. And Jesus died on a cross and God, he paid the price. He took the punishment for all of our sins. That's already happened. It's already happened. And now he wants to give you eternal life as a free gift. Forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift. It's already been paid for. Jesus already paid the price. He already took your punishment. He was already punished for you and for me. And now God just wants to give it to you. He just wants to give you eternal life. He just wants you to live forever. He wants to absolutely change you from the inside out. He wants to transform your life and give it to you as a free gift because it's already paid for. Now, if somebody's going to give you a gift, if I was going to give you this glass, say, hey, you know what? This is for you. Now, I could hold it out to you, but you don't possess it yet. What do you have to do to possess it? You have to take it. You have to come up here and grab it. Say, I'm going to take that. Thank you very much. God is holding out to you salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, a life with him, free. Because it's, already, it's free for you because it's not cheap. It's free because he paid for it already. And you're, there's only one thing left for you to do. Take it. That's all that's left for you to do. Take it. And that's a step of faith. And if you'll take it, it's yours. And when you take it, here's what happens to you. God comes into your life. He changes you from the inside out. And he begins to remake you into the person that he intended you to be right from the very beginning. And then if you'll actually trust God and begin to walk with him, fasten your seatbelt. He's the most exciting person in the universe. And you get to know him. And you get to live with him. And you get to walk with him. And I'll tell you one thing. You'll never be bored. Never. You'll be on the edge of your seat if you walk with him. And he's going to offer that to each one of you here tonight. Now, I know the majority of you have already done that. But just in case, if there's somebody here tonight and you've never done that, I want to invite you to do it. I'm just going to say, well, how do, I, how do I have that? How do I get that eternal life? How do I get Jesus into my life? It's simple. You ask him. You invite him. And if you invite him, he comes. That's it. You say, well, it's a, it's a free gift. And it's basically saying, anybody that wants it can have it, but you've got to take it. And the way you take it is by faith. You say, okay, I believe that my sins were on that cross 2,000 plus years ago. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all my sins. And now, thank you very much, I'll take eternal life as a free gift. That's it. It's so simple. When I first heard that explained, I, it went over my head. I thought, oh, nah, it can't be that. It, it, it must be more complicated than that. But you know what? It's not. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with you right now tonight. And I just want you to bow your heads. I want everybody to bow their heads tonight. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you make my prayer your prayer, and you mean it, God will see you and hear you, and he will give you eternal life. And what will happen is God will come into your life tonight begin to change you from the inside out. That's what happened to me. Father, I just want you to pray out loud with me. Father, I come before you tonight and I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus died on a cross 
and that you took my sins and put them on Jesus and he died in my place. Jesus, I believe that you are my Savior. And I invite you to come into my life and make me a new person. I put my full trust and my full weight upon you. I believe that my sins were on that cross over 2,000 years ago and you paid for every one of them. And I now accept you and I invite you into my life and I believe that you're my Savior, that you're my Lord, and I commit myself into your hands. Thank you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time tonight and you meant it, I'll tell you right now, Jesus is in your heart. I don't care whether you, you might have felt something, you might have felt nothing. It doesn't matter what you feel. I'm telling you, if you prayed that and meant it and you were sincere about it and you invited him in, he's in. And you'll see the evidence of that in the days to come because he'll start changing you from the inside out. Amen. And so we're just going to close here in prayer. I'm just going to pray for you. And if anybody wants prayer tonight, is that what you want? Do you want to do it? If, if anybody wants prayer tonight, uh, Linda and I are here. There's other leaders here as well. We'd be glad to pray for you and, and minister to you tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we thank you, Lord, for our time of fellowship tonight. And Lord, we just pray that, God, as we just uh, go home tonight, uh, that you would just bless us, that you would stir our hearts up, that, Lord, you have a plan for each one of us. And, Lord, help us to be available to you, that you will use us. And, Lord, we just uh, are going to dismiss ourselves into your care tonight. And, God, as we pray for people tonight, we just pray that you would move sovereignly by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So God bless you. I'm going to be here for a while. Linda and I will be. If you want, anybody wants prayer, you just come forward and we'll pray for you.